morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We gather together to lift up your name, to call on a Savior, to fall on your grave. of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on a Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God saves, our God saves, and there is hope in your name, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on the Savior, and to fall on your grace. We'll hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down and as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God saves, our God saves, there is hope in your name.
you may be seated. Good morning. I am a child of God, and I hope you are as well. Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you are here with us today. I know we have some, some guests with us, some, some visitors, and we're so delighted uh, to have you uh, with us. Inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. Uh, there's also a place for you to list some prayer requests, whether you're a church member or a visitor. Uh, we want to know how we can better pray for you. There's a box right out there in our foyer. Uh, you can drop that off uh, in there on your way out. If you have any questions while you're here, if there's any way in which we can help you, uh, please let us know. Uh, we would love to be able uh, to do that. So I have several things on my heart that I just want to share uh, for a moment. So I'm going to try to go through uh, these quickly. Uh, when you walked in, you probably smelled some paint. You probably smell it right now. Uh, the foyer in the sanctuary has been painted. I think it looks amazing, personally. It looks really good. Um, and so we, we had some professionals come do that, and they did it in a couple days. And uh, so now we're going to tackle the fellowship hall and the nursery hall uh, and paint that. And then uh, the next probably month, we'll have some new flooring in here and in the foyer and uh, we'll get some new chairs, and so we'll be able to complete uh, that renovation process that we had decided on a couple months ago. Uh, let me also just say, man, we had an amazing time last night at the bonfire. Uh, if you were here, you know that it was good to fellowship again uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we had a, a wonderful time with that, and I'm excited about that. Uh, Mark. And BJ and the other gentleman that went with them to Ecuador, they are on the plane. And they are, I think it's supposed to take off around 9.30 or so. Uh, the last 48 hours have been crazy for them, and I'm sure they'll share uh, some more of that in, in the upcoming weeks. But there was a moment where they weren't sure if they were going to be able to get on the plane. By God's grace, they were able to get on the plane, and they are flying home and should land anywhere between 2.30 and 3 o'clock. So continue to pray for safe travels for them, two other things I want to mention, want you to be aware of. The first one is that tomorrow is our secretary, Kim Wyatt's five-year anniversary as the secretary here uh, at Northside. Let me tell you, some of you, many of you have met Kim. She comes to some of the things that we do. Uh, but if you've never met Kim, uh, Kim is phenomenal at what she does uh, for a couple of reasons. One, she just, she's just great. Two, she does a great job of keeping Pastor BJ and myself straight, so we appreciate that. And third, she knows, she knows you. She knows our church family. Some of you she maybe sees once every couple weeks unless you come by the office or maybe not even once every couple weeks, but, but she knows who you are and she really tries to put in that effort to do that. Um, she is phenomenal. So let me encourage you uh, sometime this week, if, if you will, send her an email uh, do a card for her, send that card to the, the post office. Let's just bombard her with emails and cards this week and just letting her know uh, how much we appreciate her um, and all the work that she does uh, with that. And then there's one other thing uh, that, that I want to do this morning, um, and I don't ever intentionally want to neglect anybody, so if I have neglected you at some point, I do apologize. But tomorrow is a special day, one, because it's Kim's five-year uh, anniversary, but there's also a birthday tomorrow. And somebody's going to become an adult, and that is Miss Emma Lucas. And she didn't know I was going to do that. Um, 18 years old. Sorry, Emma. Uh, 
Emma has been at this church her entire life. Um, and so it, it is awesome to be able to see someone go from the nursery and the babies to see them become an adult. And so that's exciting. And so if you did not know it was her birthday tomorrow, now you know. And so wish her a happy birthday on the way out. Had to do that to you, Emma. Had to, love, love you, girl. All right. So our, our praying the scripture this morning uh, comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. And so it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to encourage you to take a moment where you are and just pray through this verse. Meditate upon this verse. However the Lord may prompt you, just spend some time in silent, quiet, meditative prayer. And then I'll pray for us and then we'll sing again. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for the blessings you bestowed upon us here in these last couple of days and this last week. Thank you for watching over BJ and Mark, giving them a safe week down there. And Lord, we pray for safe travels home right now as they're on that plane. Lord, bring them back to us safely. And Father, we look forward to hearing the stories and God, the plan that you have for Northside going forward. Thank you for the fellowship that we had last night, for all of those who put in a lot of time and effort to make it happen. It was good. Father, we're thankful for Kim. God, thank you for how hard she works during the week, and, and she strives to, for perfection and, and to do an amazing job. And Lord, I, I genuinely think she cares about these people and, and loves these people, and, and uh, just a huge blessing and a huge help to Northside, but also to myself. And so, Father, thank you for her. Thank you for bringing her here. Thank you, Father, for these past five years. And, Father, we pray for many, many more. Father, we're thankful, Lord, just for life. Uh, Father, thank you for Emma, who will have a, an amazing birthday tomorrow. But, Father, for every other life that you have given to us that is part of Northside. Uh, birthdays, Father, that, that I may neglect or may not mention from the pulpit, but, Father, are just as special and as important to you. Well, Father, most of all, we are thankful for our spiritual life, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins that is possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have reason to celebrate today because through Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed white as snow. So, oh God, continue to be glorified in our singing and in the preaching of your word this morning. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship together. Glorious is thy name, O Lord. Let's all sing it together. Blessed Savior, we adore thee. May thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy. Glorious is thy matchless name. Glorious, 
glory to the Lord for what he does for us, what he has done for us. Praise him, praise him. Let's stand together as we sing again. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, high-stick angels in glory. Strength and honor, give his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children in his arms. He carries them all day long. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He our rock our hope of eternal salvation. Hail him, hail him, Jesus the crucified. Sound his praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with Hosanna's ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming, over the world victorious, power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Remain standing, if you will, in honor of the reading of God's Word, and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. We're going to read verses 32 through 34. This is the word of the Lord in Luke 23, 32 through 34. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. You may be seated. I very rarely begin a sermon with something that is unrelated to the passage in which I'm going to preach from. But, but I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, I read something this week that I thought was, was funny and, and accurate, and the series we're about to begin is very weighty and heavy, and so I thought we might begin on, with a lighthearted note. So I read something on Facebook this week. Now, I'm, I'm not on Facebook a whole lot, and I never post. 
So please don't ever get offended if you tag me and I don't respond because I just, I just don't, I don't talk. I'm, I'm quiet. Um, but I, I read this this week and this was some interaction between some of our church members and it was so accurate and I thought it was funny. And I'm not going to mention names because I didn't get their permission, but it's public, so you probably saw it. Um, so it said this, if aliens landed and said, take me to your leader, that's what somebody posted. And then one of our church members responded, I'm just going to take them to Pastor Aaron instead. Or maybe to David Masden, he's going to scare them with his booming voice. <laughs> to which a church member responded, yes, laugh out loud, Aaron is a little quiet. BJ would just smooth talk them. <laughs> Love my NBC family. So um, we just finished a series on Be the Church and What is the Church. Uh, and so I think it maybe is important to st establish a little protocol. Now, I don't believe in aliens. I don't think an alien is ever going to show up, but we are living in crazy times and you never know what's going to happen. So just so we're all on the same page, protocol. If an alien ever shows up to you, go to David Masden first with that alien. <laughs> Because the hope says his booming voice will scare them. And then, if that doesn't work, I agree, go see Pastor BJ. Because maybe he can smooth talk them. Under no circumstances are you to bring said alien to me. Because I am quiet and I will run out the back door. I promise you that. I just thought it was funny that, though I've only been here a year, some of you already have me pegged. And that I am a quiet person. And I do not deal with said aliens. So that gave me a good laugh, and I thought maybe it would give you a good laugh, too, uh, if you ever see an alien. Now you know the proper protocol. <laughs> with that in mind, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of laughter. Lord, we come to your word now, and there's no laughing matter, God, about what we're about to read and study over these next seven weeks. Now, for those, some of those who were there, this was a comedy. This was a joke to them. But God, for us, it is not a joke. Lord, help us to see the significance here. God, it is going to be heavy, and it is going to be weighty, and it is going to be convicting at times, and maybe at times will cause us to shed a tear. But God, I pray through it all over these next seven weeks leading up to Easter and even the week after Easter, God, that you would just help us to see the cross and the words of Jesus, Lord, so clearly and so powerfully. And Father, we just, we just pray that you will speak now. Draw us to Yourself, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him. There they crucified Him. Luke summarizes the crucifixion for us in four words in English. In Greek, it's only three. There they crucified him. When you read Matthew's account, Mark's account, and John's account, it is all the same. They devote very few words to describing the crucifixion. Now, we know a little bit what happens prior and a little bit of what happens on the cross, but as far as what the crucifixion was itself, they don't give us any information. We know there they crucified him. We know what crucifixion is because of history, because of accounts of history, because of, of archaeological studies and where they have found people who have been crucified. And, and so we know all of that. But the authors of Scripture summarize it by saying, there they crucified him. They don't focus on his torment. 
on what the crucifixion would have looked like, per se. Rather, they focus on the significance. Now, why? Why wouldn't they expound upon what is crucifixion? Well, I think the answer is simply this. The early New Testament readers didn't need an explanation. When they read, there they crucified him, they had seen crucifixions. Some of them maybe at the cross. Some of them maybe had a, a, a criminal, wicked brother or sister who had been crucified. They had seen this played out. They didn't need an explanation. And so I want to spend just a couple moments this morning talking about, as we begin this series, the crucifixion. Because I can't assume everyone here or watching online really understands what the crucifixion would have looked like. So I'm going to do this kind of quickly, and I'm going to give you several P's as we think about what did the crucifixion look like. First thing I want you to notice is it was punishment. Crucifixion was a mode of execution. They were executing criminals, the lowest of the lows. Sometimes that cross would have been just a stake, a vertical stake that they would have impaled someone to. Other times it would have been a capital T is what that would have looked like. In some cases it was an X. And more than likely in the case of Jesus, it would have looked like a lowercase t, which is what we typically see. We have a cross out there in the field. It probably would have looked something like that because we know they hung a sign on over Jesus' head. So there would have been somewhere where they could have put that sign. And so probably a lowercase t. The Romans had nearly perfected the art of crucifixion. It would often begin with the flogging. When you study the account of Jesus, he is flogged, beaten. Then the, the individual being executed, crucified, would have carried that cross beam to the location of the execution, which is what Jesus does. He's been so severely beaten, he can't get there all the way. And so Simon picks up the cross because he's told to, and he carries it. Right Then they would have been attached to that cross beam, and they would have been placed up on the vertical bar, and that's where they would have been. Sometimes with ropes, John tells us, right, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, touch the nail prints in my hands and my feet. Jesus probably was nailed to the cross. Well, he was nailed to the cross because he says, touch the, the nail prints. And, and so that's how they also would put people on the cross. So this was punishment. This was execution. I also want you to understand it was prevalent. Jesus Christ is not the only person in history to be crucified. In fact, we read here two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Some estimates say that in Jesus' day, there were 30,000 plus people who were crucified. John MacArthur writes, It is not the physical sufferings of Jesus that are unique. It is the thing they accomplish that is unique. So when we talk about Jesus crucified, He is not the only person to ever be crucified. David Wells makes a helpful distinction, I think, between crucifixion and the cross. He writes, there is a distinction between the crucifixion and the cross. The former crucifixion was a particularly barbaric way of carrying out an execution. And it was a method of execution that Jesus endured. The latter, that is the cross, as the New Testament speaks of it, has to do with the mysterious exchange that took place in Christ's death in exchange of our sin for His righteousness. So hear me. Jesus was not the only man to ever be crucified. But Jesus is the only man who ever went to the cross who through his death, burial, and resurrection has secured a salvation for mankind. Amen? And that separates his death from everyone else's. Third, it was painful. 
Crucifixion was designed to bring maximum torture to the one being crucified. And sometimes it could last up to days. Right, No major arteries were, were affected, so they didn't just bleed out and die instantly. It was long. It was lingering. It was a process. The Roman poet Cicero referred to crucifixion as the most cruel and most hideous of tortures and said that the very name cross should not only be far from the body of a Roman citizen, but also from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. And yet it is the cross of Jesus Christ. And Jesus being crucified upon that cross that is at the center of our doctrine and of our salvation. It was not only a punishment, and prevalent and painful, but it was also public. It was public. The Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels, a really thick book that I have on my bookshelf, says crucifixion was quintessentially a public affair. Naked and affixed to a stake, a cross, or a tree, the victim was subjected to savage ridicule by frequent passerby. While the general populace was given a grim reminder of the fate of those who assert themselves against the authority of the state, Jesus was accused of blasphemy, of claiming to be God. And so they crucify him publicly, humiliatingly, naked, in front of people to see, as they often would do. And the one last P I want to point out to you, and that is the place. The place. The scriptures tell us that when they came to the place that is called the skull. Let me give you some language here. The skull. That's the Greek word. The Greek word is cranion. In English, we get the word cranium. So in Greek, they called it the skull. Right? This is what it was called. Maybe because it, it looked like a skull, something. Maybe because there were just skulls lying around. But they called it the skull. That was the Greek word. But in Matthew and Mark, right, they referred to it as Golgotha, which is called the skull. Golgotha, that's the Aramaic word. So you have the Greek word, cranion, the skull, the Aramaic word. But we also refer to it as Calvary. Now where in the world does Calvary come from? If you have a King James Version, your word says Calvary here instead of the skull. Well, the Greek was translated into Latin. And the Latin for skull is calaveria, from which we get the word what? Calvary. So they bring Jesus to this place called the skull, Golgotha, or Calvary, all are correct, referring to the same place, just using different language. And they bring Jesus to this place. Now understand one more thing before we get into His specific saying this morning. Understand, and this will be on the screen, everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said was purposeful. Every place Jesus ever went, every miracle He performed, from walking on water to overthrowing the tables, whatever he did, there was a purpose behind it. As we look at these seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross, understand every single one of them has a purpose. None of them were by accident. They're all purposeful. And also know that everything Jesus said and did was powerful. There, are, there is power behind every statement that Jesus makes from the cross. And so while Jesus is here, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., He makes seven statements. And the first st statement, based, I think, upon Scripture and also based upon tradition, the first statement He makes occurs here in Luke 23, verse 34. 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And every week I want to do two things. I want to ask what. What does Jesus say? And then I want to ask the question, so what? In light of what He says, so what? How does it change us? How do we live differently? And so, giving you a lot of peas this morning, so let me continue that. What did Jesus say? Well, He starts by saying, Father. This is a prayer. Jesus here in this moment is praying. He has been nailed to the cross bar. He is lifted up. And according to Luke, He says, Father, forgive them. This is a prayer. Jesus, in his moment of greatest pain and agony, what does he do? He prays. He doesn't begin to blame God or accuse God. He simply prays. Jesus is a model for us when it comes to prayer. It shouldn't surprise us that he prays. His ministry began with prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. He many times withdrew from them to pray. What does he do when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prays. Jesus models for us a life of prayer. Listen, some of you are going through some difficult things right now in your life. And when you begin to experience those, the first thing you should do is not question God, blame God, get angry with God. But the very first thing you should do is what Jesus does. Run to the Father and pray. Father, He's praying. Notice secondly, this is a public prayer. This is a public prayer. We have seven statements recorded for us here in the Scriptures. How do we know Jesus said these seven things? Well, He must have said them out loud so that those at the cross could hear them, record them for us, pass them on so they could be recorded in the Scriptures so that here we are 2,000 plus years later, we can know what Jesus said. Listen, He didn't have to pray this out loud. You ever pray quietly in your spirit or in your your mind, just with your thoughts. Jesus could have been nailed to the cross and just prayed inwardly, Father, forgive them. So why does he cry out loud, Father, forgive them? The only answer I can think of is because it was for the benefit of those who were surrounding the cross. And it was recorded in Scripture for your benefit and mine. He's praying for us. And what does he pray for? Here's the third P. This is a prayer for pardon. This is a word of forgiveness. Jesus has been nailed to the crossbar. He is placed publicly. He is in pain. He has been beaten. His flesh is torn. And what does He say? Father, forgive them. Jesus immediately begins to pray for His executioners. He begins to pray for their forgiveness. Jesus is being tortured. In the first place he goes, the first place his mind runs to is for those who are nailing him to the cross. The first place he goes is for sinners. He begins to think about sinners like you and myself. He prays for them. Jesus Christ had the power to come off the cross and to destroy all of them in a second. And instead, he prays. For them. Now listen, that shouldn't surprise you if you know the Gospels. Because in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, we read the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus said He came to seek and save the lost. 
Jesus said, there are those who are, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. Jesus came for sinners. And so while he's on the cross, he begins to pray for sinners. On the cross, Jesus Christ begins to intercede for you and I. He begins to pray for sinners. J.C. Ryle writes, As soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. And he prays for our forgiveness. Now you need to understand something here. Those who were guilty of executing Jesus are not automatically forgiven just because Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. When he says, Father, forgive them, it doesn't mean suddenly all those Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, they're all automatically forgiven. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture is clear. There is no forgiveness. There is no pardon for your sins apart from confession and repentance of sins. Jesus, when he says, Father, forgive them, does not mean now everyone universally is automatically saved and forgiven. It's not what he's saying. 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse if we confess our sins. So here's the amazing thing about what Jesus is doing on the cross. The one who prays for their forgiveness is the very one who is slain and slaughtered so that their forgiveness and their pardon might be purchased and won for them. When Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, He is making a way for those Roman soldiers who just nailed Him to the cross, who were just doing their job, by the way. This is what they did. They executed people, carrying out these orders. He is making a way for the religious leaders who should have known who He was and who have nailed Him to the cross. He is making a way for their forgiveness. And Jesus, by being nailed to the cross, also made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. But you must confess your sins. You must repent of your sins. Church, hear me. If Jesus saves Himself which is what he is told to do. Verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If Jesus saves himself, you and I go to hell. So Jesus doesn't save himself. He stays on the cross. And his blood is shed so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins. Well, look what else he says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does he mean by that? For they know not what they do. They knew what they were doing, right? I mean, the Roman soldiers had done this many, many, many times. They had perfected it. They knew how to nail someone to the cross. The religious leaders knew they had him crucified. What does he mean for they know not what they do? I, I think what's behind this prayer is they did not understand the enormity of their crime and of their sin. They should have known they were nailing the Son of God to the cross, but they didn't know. Maybe they didn't really know who Jesus was, the Roman soldiers. Maybe they didn't really understand. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But don't, don't misinterpret that. Those on the cross were ignorant, but they were not innocent. And there is a difference. Those on the cross were not innocent based on their ignorance. 
A.W. Pink writes it really well. He says, sin is always sin in the sight of God, whether we are conscious of it or not. Sins of ignorance need atonement just as truly as do conscience, conscious sins. God is holy, and He will not lower His standard of righteousness to the level of our ignorance. Ignorance is not innocence. Right? If you go rob a bank and say, look, I didn't know it was illegal to rob a bank. I, I just came down here to this country like out of nowhere, and I didn't know it. You know what? The judge may say, look, I'm sorry you were ignorant, but you're still guilty of robbing the bank. Right? Ignorance can't replace and just because you're ignorant all of a sudden means you're innocent. Listen, some of you may think, look, what am I really guilty of? What have I really done? I didn't nail Jesus to the cross. You may think, hey, look, I haven't really committed any great sin. You may plead ignorance, but hear me, that doesn't mean you are innocent. Every single one of us is just as guilty as the Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders who were there on that day. We are all just as guilty. And when we see Jesus Christ nailed to that cross and we hear these words, Father, forgive them, God's love for mankind is on display through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The cross of Jesus Christ reveals the sinner's great need and God's amazing grace. So there is Jesus nailed to the cross and He begins to pray. It's a public prayer and He prays for pardon. He prays for forgiveness for you, for me, for them. So what? Like, so what? What is, what is so significant about these words, Father, forgive them? Let me say three things. Number one, you need to understand this. You are forgiven. Amen? That's the so what. The so what is you are forgiven. Every wretched, wicked deed you have ever done, ever done is forgiven, is covered through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have confessed that sin, repented of that sin, and taken hold of the name of Jesus... You're forgiven. So I'm going to speak to a couple different groups of people, and I don't know who falls in each of these groups, but this is important. Listen, some of you need to hear the words of Jesus this morning. You need to put yourself at the foot of the cross, and you need to hear the words of Jesus when He says, Father, forgive them. Because some of you walked into this place this morning with this weight of guilt upon your shoulders for something you said, for something you've done. Maybe it was last night. Like last night you sinned against God, may you know you sinned against God, and you woke up this morning, you felt guilty, right, you need to confess it. But I'm talking more specifically this morning about those of you, and I don't know who you are, but you walk into this place and you are still dealing with guilt from something you did five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Like you can't shake it. It's with you every single day. You feel the weight of it. But here's the thing, you've gone to Jesus multiple times. You've cried out to the Father over and over and over, Father, forgive me. And yet here, this weight is still on your shoulders. Listen, hear the cry of Jesus. Father, forgive them. If you have done something that was wrong and you confessed it, you know what God does with it? Cleanses you of it. It's gone. It's removed. You're the one that's not forgiving yourself. He's forgiven you the moment you confessed it. That word forgiveness means to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Laonida in their Greek lexicon says this about this word. The event of wrongdoing is not undone. 
When you say, God, forgive me, it's not like you never did the thing to begin with. You still did it. You still committed that sin. But the guilt resulting from such an event is pardoned. If you have confessed that sin to Jesus, stop walking in this enslaved mentality. Don't let Satan keep throwing that thing back in your face. Yes, it was wrong. And yes, you sinned against God. But when he says, Father, forgive them, he meant every single sin you would ever commit. Notice he didn't say, Father, forgive them for this, this, and this, but not this, this, and this. That's too big. If the Roman soldiers could be forgiven, if the Jewish religious leaders could be forgiven, you can be forgiven. Don't limit God's saving grace. Don't limit it in your life and somebody else's life. No one is beyond God's reach to save them. So brother and sister, if you're feeling the weight of guilt, let it go. Let it go. You gave it to Jesus. Don't let Satan keep throwing that in your face because it's been forgiven. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus. Walk in freedom. You have been forgiven. Secondly, you are to forgive. Some of you came in with guilt. There's another group of people, and I don't know how many it is, but some of you walked in angry. You walked in bitter. Man, you're just mad. Because at some point in your life, you've been hurt. And you've been wronged. And you've been betrayed. Or maybe you went through abuse. Somebody took something from you. Or they smeared your reputation. Or they walked out on you. And you're still angry. And you're bitter. My goodness, maybe you have every right to be. You see, Jesus not only is our example in prayer, but He is our example in forgiveness. And He teaches us through this prayer, Father, forgive them, that we are to forgive. Erwin Lutzer in his book, Cries from the Cross, writes, Forgiveness sounds like a marvelous idea until you are the one that has to do it. So listen, have you been hurt? Have you been wronged? Do you admit, look, I'm still holding on to it. They hurt me years ago, and because I won't let go of it, man, they just keeps hurting me over and over and over. Listen, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy to forgive them. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy to let that thing go. But what I am saying to you is it is possible and it is necessary for followers of Christ to forgive those who hurt us. If Jesus can forgive His executioners, if Jesus can forgive you and I whose sins put Him on the cross, then by that grace, you and I can forgive those who have hurt us and wronged us. The so what is through the forgiveness of Christ, we are now to forgive others. So if you need help in that, just reach out to somebody. Reach out to a friend and say, look, I'm holding on to something and I need somebody to help me. Reach out to Pastor BJ, myself, your Sunday school teacher, your deacon. You don't got to suffer alone. Somebody walk with you through that. And then there's a third thing I want to say. That is this. You must confess and turn from your sins. Here's a temptation. The temptation is to say, well, at least I wasn't the Roman soldier that nailed him to the cross. 
At least I wasn't these religious leaders who heard him teach and supposed to know the Old Testament, should have seen this was the Messiah. I'm not as bad as they are. Every single one of us in this room is a wretch sinner. And but by the grace of God, we would have done the same thing. It's easy for me to say, oh, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. One author writes this. He says, I identify most with the angry mob screaming, crucify him. That's who we should all identify with. Because apart from God's grace, this is where we would all be standing. And we're only flattering ourselves to think otherwise. Unless you see yourself standing there with the shrieking crowd full of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent Lamb of God, you don't really understand the nature and depth of your sin or the necessity of the cross. Listen, unless you and I understand the depth of our sins and the need for Jesus Christ, these words, Father, forgive them, will mean nothing to you. I'm the last one on planet earth who deserved the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am the last one who deserved that. And yet it was Jesus who was upon that cross that said, Father, forgive them. And when he said, Father, forgive them, he meant Matthew Aaron Hornsby could have forgiveness through his death, burial, and resurrection in my place. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you never confessed your sins or repented of your sins, today's the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. Give your life to Jesus now. Understand He died in your place for you, for your forgiveness. And this is the significance of that. Let me say one more thing. Look at the next phrase after Luke records these words for us. And they cast lots to divide His garments. What? Jesus just says from the cross out loud, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And these Roman soldiers just go about their business of, of, of dividing these, these clothes. Like they hear it, and it means nothing to them. So let me, let me speak to us Christians. And again, I don't know how many of you there are, but those of you who think, this is kind of a cultural thing with us right now, who think, well, I've claimed the name of Jesus. He's my Savior. I've got forgiveness of sins but I'm going to live my life however I want to live it. Maybe that's you. You won't acknowledge it publicly, but privately there is a sin in your life that you know is wrong, but you keep on committing over and over and over. Maybe it makes you feel guilty for a moment, or maybe you're so blatant in your disobedience you do not care. Hear me. You cannot follow Jesus and be unmoved about your sins. You cannot. Because the one who says, Father, forgive them, died for the very same sins you keep committing. So you can't say, I'm going to live this lifestyle, I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to do this thing, and Jesus is going to be okay with it. Not if He calls it sin. It's not okay. And if that's you, if there is sin in your life, unconfessed, unrepentant, no one knows about, but God, understand, God knows. And His Son died for that sin. So confess that sin, repent of that sin, and ask Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free from that sin. Here's how I want to close. The Father prayed, or Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Have you prayed, Father, forgive me? 
Jesus prayed for your forgiveness. But unless you pray it, that pardon is not applied to your life. Brothers and sisters, we don't pray, Father, forgive me one time at the moment of salvation and move past repentance. No, we spend the rest of our days praying, Father, forgive me. You know what, church? Every confessed sin is covered and is cleansed. Not because you are worthy, but because you deserve it. But because He is a good and gracious and a generous God who has forgiven His people of their sins. That ought to change your life. The what is, Father, forgive them. The so what is you've now been forgiven. And that ought to change you. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? We're going to sing in, in just a moment. But before we do that, let me just pray. Let me just pray over you and pray for you. Father, we feel the weight of, of these words. Father, Father, forgive them as Jesus prayed. It was for me. It was for me that He was praying. He was interceding for me. He was dying in my place, the death that I deserve. And so, Father, we first want to thank You for that. But God, we also want to pray just for a moment, for the person who is wrestling with guilt. Oh God, would they see and sense and hear those words this morning and be delivered from that guilt that You have forgiven them of. For the one, Lord, who is struggling, who is angry, who is bitter. Man, they've been hurt and they've been wronged. Father, would You deliver them from that in Jesus' name this morning? Would You help them begin to walk in freedom? Because Lord, You can help them to do, God, what they cannot do in their own strength and power. Father, for the person who was living in sin, O Spirit of God, would You convict them and break their hearts. May they confess that sin to You right now. And O God, for the person watching online or who's sitting here in the sanctuary this morning who is lost, who is who's wicked, who has never given their life to Jesus, Lord, help them to see they are just as guilty as those who are at the foot of the cross. And their sin... Their sin is an affront to a holy God and their sin must be dealt with. Either with them spending eternity in hell for their sin or through running to, to, to running to Jesus Christ who has taken their sin upon Himself, who has died in their place so that they might be forgiven. Oh Lord, may they give their life to You, confessing their sin, confessing their need for Jesus. May today be a day of salvation for them. Spirit of God, as we sing, would You just stir our hearts Work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing a couple verses of this song together. Sweet, so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him now. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, 
seated. I have some really, really, really good news that I want to share with you for a moment. Uh, some of you maybe uh, saw this on, on, on Facebook, but man, what, a, what an amazing time to make this announcement publicly to the church in light of the message that we just uh, preached. So, Miss Sadie, where are, Miss Sadie, where are you? This is Miss Sadie Stedham back there. Wave. You don't have to come up here, but wave. There you go. So that's Miss Sadie. Sadie, you're seven years old? Seven years old. And about a week and a half ago, Sadie prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of her life. Isn't that awesome? So I uh, had a chance to talk with Sadie uh, last Sunday and just kind of hear how all that unfolded and how God had been working in her heart and had some great conversations. And one of the things that was new to her uh, is now to know that she's got a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's like, what? That, that really happened? So yeah, so she is part of the, the body of, of Christ now, and so she gets to be a member here at Northside, and she's going to be baptized on Easter Sunday morning, and so that's going to make Easter even more awesome. And so Sadie, we are so excited for you and so proud of you. And uh, man, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, that included Sadie. And so Sadie confessed and repented of her sins, and uh, when I get to spend an eternity with Jesus, and that same offer that Sadie took hold of is available to each and every one of you. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, would you just reach out to me this week? There's contact information there in the bulletin. Uh, we want to we pray for you, and we want to be able to rejoice with you as we get to rejoice with, uh, with Sadie. So if you haven't had a chance to talk to Sadie yet and let her know how excited you are for her and how proud you are of her, um, let her know. And, and we get to spend the rest of her days, right, uh, just loving on her and pointing her to Jesus Christ and preparing her for what God has in store for her. One announcement I want to draw your attention to is our quarterly conference is tonight after Awana and our adult Bible study. So you want to uh, make note of that and you want to be here for that as we have some important information to discuss. All right, that concludes our, our worship service. It's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And so Tripp is the, is the deacon of the week. He made the comment last Sunday, whenever you join our church that Sunday, whoever the deacon of the week is, he becomes your, your deacon. And so uh, he mentioned in the meeting, if Sadie wouldn't make that decision today, he could be her deacon. But I think we got somebody else to do that. But, uh, but I thought that was pretty neat. All right, if you'll stand, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just, we just thank you for the sacrifice and that your, your son poured out on the cross to forgive us for our sins. Let's thank you so much for my daughter now that I can call my sister. We honor you and, and give all the glory to you in everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.